0: Taken from Proverbs four, let's read it together. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Cost you you have, get Get understanding. understanding. Esteem wisdom and she will exalt you. Embrace her her, and she will honor you. you. This morning's scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke. The text is Luke chapter one verses twenty six through fifty six. In your Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 878. That's page 878 in your Blue Pew Bible. Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 56. Hear now the word of the living God. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, the angel left her. At the time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds from His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, but He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors.
1: Thank you, Lydia. Um, so we turn to consider the Lord, uh, Lord's word this morning, and let me uh, open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, with what joy we are summoned to your word this morning, recognizing that it is indeed wisdom, that it is life. And Father, I pray by the power of your Spirit this morning that we would embrace your word, that we would honor, that we would, that we would esteem the wisdom of your word, the hope that it gives, the, the warning that it provides, the comfort. Uh, that it offers uh, father may our hearts be open to you uh, lord we love you we pray these things in jesus name amen well as we go to enter into our fourth and final uh, sunday of advent we've been following really the the, the 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 ancient calendar the liturgical calendar that many different denominations and <clears throat> excuse me christian traditions follow in the advent season the fourth the four weeks or four sundays of advent are all about longing. They're about a sense of longing, of anticipation, of waiting and preparation, as you've heard several times this morning. And the first Sunday of Advent refers to the time, we've we kind of followed the Old Testament story. The first, the first uh, Sunday speaks of the patriarchs and how they longed and waited for one who was to come. <clears throat> The second Sunday speaks of the prophets, how they too had a full full, uh, picture of one who was to come who would bring security and safety. And then last week, we we talked about John the Baptist, especially his parents, Elizabeth, in Zechariah, and we saw how their longing for significance was, was so fulfilled, the sense of futility, the, the infertility, if you will, that, that they had not only biologically, but in their lives. They saw how the Lord was there to actually bring fruitfulness and to honor the, the way that they have lived. And this, uh, today we, um, we look at the life of Mary, at the, at the, at the story of Mary here, and we, um, as we do so, we look at what I want to call a longing to celebrate longing to celebrate. And, and this Sunday might be a little bit different in some ways. You know, central to Christianity is the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we think of the cross, we think first and foremost of Jesus who gave himself for our sins. And sin is certainly the central aspect of the Christian message. It is the central, um, um, uh, the central focus, if you will, of the gospel. But along with that idea of sin... It's the idea of suffering, it's the idea of suffering and all of its just all its forms. In fact, the 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 uh, the uh, the, um, the tradition in which we belong, the Presbyterian tradition, um, has a um, a language that it uses to describe the the, the state of humanity because of, of the fall, and the phrase that is used is that, is that we live in in a state of sin and misery. <laughs> what a description, right? We live in a state of sin and misery. And the idea is that sin, yes, we are sinners, but there's also this condition of misery, of suffering. And this morning's message is not so much a message about sin, it's a message about suffering and a particular kind of suffering, a particular kind of pain. It's the, it's the pain of being unseen. You know what it means to be unseen? Unseen to be invisible. I can remember a very small story. I can remember I was, I was a, a student uh, in grad school, and I went to a conference, and I was, went into this room, and, and they were having sort of this uh, happy hour type uh, engagement. Uh, and, uh, and in the room, there were these, these like four or five really well-known scholars uh, of the ancient world. I mean, these are like at least in, in our field, like household names. You're like, these are, these are people that you just you read about. And I went in there and started, started kind of stood next to them and was listening in, they were talking. And pretty and I realized that they didn't really see me. <laughs> I just wasn't really there, right? I just wasn't, I was. I mean, they were talking and I was sort of like trying to get in a word in or whatever, and kind of work around the different sides, etc. cetera. And I just wasn't, I wasn't really seen. It's a very small example. Many, many of us though live, lives for the most part where we are unseen. How many of you kids, you're in elementary school or junior high, high school and you walk through the halls and you just feel, does anyone even see me? Maybe at work, you know, you you dedicate yourself to uh, a certain company or a certain position. Maybe you're a teacher and you you just, you, you work as hard as you possibly can and yet you go to the faculty meetings, you go to, to the various um, gatherings that you have. Your company has, and you just realize, you know what? I'm just not seen. Or maybe even this particular this time of year, maybe you you have those awkward times where you're with family, and you're just sort of the odd person out. You're like, you're the one who really, at the end of the day, isn't really seen. I, I can remember counseling. Uh, a young lady who was talked about how her whole life she was known. Her, her sister's name was, I think it was like, like Kate or something like that, and, she, and she, she was known as Kate's sister. Oh, you're Kate's sister, right? Oh, yeah, I know you. Y- isn't your sister Kate? And you're always known as, as sort of like an appendage. You're sort of just after that. You're a shadow, you're unseen. And that can just be so over over you know one small incident like i just mentioned is just insignificant in fact most of my life my early life at least up to like 2022 20, i was seen i was i was i was well known i was popular i was uh, got good grades i played basketball i i was seen regularly i had no idea what it was like to be unseen and when and when you're in the, that situation of being seen you just you're just totally unaware. At least I was totally unaware. So I just, you know, I kind of I, I'd see people and I think, oh yeah, they're so and so, whatever, but I wouldn't really acknowledge them. I don't know, you sometimes we use the phrase, it's good to see you. You do we' say, hey, hey, it's good to see you. And it's just well, what are we saying? We're not saying hey, it's actually good to like I can I can actually see you. We're saying it's good to see you. And sometimes we'll respond, it's good to be it's good to be seen. Right? There's it's really good to be seen because so often we live our lives so unseen. If I can share a, a moment with you that um, is really close to my heart. Um, I can remember one time uh, when I was, I was in counseling and I was sharing my heart, I was pouring out my heart to the counselor and, um, and I was sharing some defined china of my life. Things were really hard. Things that, um, you know, sometimes they're just wounds that you have in your life that you, you just don't know how to articulate them. They're just sort of, un, sort of they come out as a groan. <laughs> you go to the counseling, counseling, you're like, <laughs> and the counselor's trying to like, pull out what, what, what that is. And I was finally able to communicate in some, you know, shape or form the ache that I felt, the pain that I had. And this counselor, she said, Bruce, I see you. I see you. I think of another uh, sort of a uh, counselor hero, counselor pastor hero of mine, who tells a story of a a very difficult counseling situation in which he met with this lady. This lady was, I wonder if if I remember the story right, she was in her 40s or 50s and had just been through some unspeakable suffering. And that's some very degrading, humiliating uh, experiences for a very prolonged period of time. And she sometimes, some, some, uh, some weeks, she would not even show up to counseling. And when she did show up, he would meet her she, at the, you know, at the, uh, the, the, the entryway, he would meet her um, at the counter, and he would say, hi, how are you? Nothing. Well, come on back. Nothing. She came in, she would sit in the chair He started asking her questions, nothing. A Few more questions, nothing. About 45 minutes went by and he said, well, our our time's about up and she got up and she walked out. It happened like two or three times. And she she would sit down, she'd get in her chair. She'd sit like this and she would do this. Whole time, forty-five minutes. In the fourth time, and, and he describes it. He says, you know, the first time I would walk out there, counselor, confident, whatever. He says, now the fourth time when she came, he says I was just like dreading going out there. Just like or then he says, she saw me, I saw her, and we he said we both slogged to the office. <laughs> you know, like you know, just dreading what's to come, and you know, sure enough, she resumed her usual position. And then this counselor had, I think was just a beautiful moment where God redeemed his imagination. And he went over, got behind his desk, went over, and he actually got on the floor, and he looked, he got on the floor and like screeched under and looked up at her. And he said, I see you. I see you. And on her face, this little tiny smile cracked. And there was this pause, and he said, hey, I think we've connected. You're in a safe place. It's safe here. She had been seen. She'd been seen maybe for the first time in her life. See, in the Christmas season, now this time of year, I've called this sermon a longing to celebrate. This time of year, for so many, is (laughs) the last thing we feel like doing is celebrating. Because we're so exhausted from the commodification, the consumerization, right? The, the the getting gifts. Oh, I I get to give gifts. The sense of obligatory. I need to give a gift for them, for them, for them, for them, for them, and all the joy of giving is gone. The the tension in relationships, just the hardship, the the loss that we feel as we get older. I mean, how many times I just I, I one of the things that I, one of the most painful things that I've ever heard. I think. From, from persons who are uh, older, from their 70s, 80s, 90s, is when they say something like, you know, all my siblings or all my friends have passed. They're all gone. What would that be like to celebrate Thanksgiving, Christmas, when all of your loved ones are gone? So many of them are gone. And so this time of year is a t- hard time to celebrate. But let me tell you the kind of people who celebrate at Christmas, and here, here, let me lay this out. This is the, don't, don't miss this. In the Christmas season, it's the unseen who celebrate. When you understand the story of Christmas, the very first Christmas, you'll see that it's the unseen who are the ones who celebrate. And who are they celebrating? Or What are they celebrating? They're celebrating the one who sees them the one who sees them. In this story, this beautiful story, we have a mighty messenger, Gabriel, who comes. And she, and he, the mighty messenger, is sent to select one who is unseen. I don't know if you know this, the name Gabriel, in Hebrew, it's actually um, um, a Hebrew uh, uh, name. And the angel Gabriel is found in the Old Testament book of Daniel. And Gabriel means mighty one of God. Isn't that amazing? Mighty one of God. I mean, don't, don't picture in your mind some like cute little baby with some wings. Okay. You need to like think about like the Lord of the Rings or something like that. You need to go to a whole different dimension of there's a reason that every time a human encounters the angel, what is the, what's the angel's first line? Yeah, do not be afraid. <laughs> Every time you meet some, all right, don't be afraid. You know and you're getting like the angels. Sometimes I wonder, if the angels are around coffee together, and it's like I don't know why you made it so scary for. Her. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, this sense of right. Oh, we just no, 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 don't be afraid. No, 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 you know, like oh, come back. You're right. This sense of you know, But do not be afraid. This mighty angel, this mighty one of God, Gabriel, Gabor Gabriel, warrior, mighty one of God, comes. And God here is this mighty, one. and who, to whom is he sent? To whom is he sent? I mean, it just makes so much sense that you've you got to make connections. You've got to go to where the power is. You've got to go where, 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 the, where the things are happening. You've got to go to the important people, to the important places. And, of course, you know the story, the mighty, angel, my, mighty messenger sent to one who's unseen to what, to, it's sent, first and foremost, to Nowheresville. Just to get this. The angel is sent to Nowheresville to a nobody. Nazareth was a place it was buried a blip on the screen. No one knew what Nazareth was. And if they did know what it was, if you know the, the Gospel of John, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? God sends this mighty angel. He's making a very loud statement. He's not, it's not in Rome. It's not even Jerusalem. He's sending it to Nazareth, to a, to a nowheresville, to a nobody. How is Mary? Now, we think of Mary. It's like Mary is so central to who we are. But in the story, the messenger is sent not to a city, not to a temple, but to a nobody, a no-name person. She's a virgin. She's a teen. She's a female. No position. No pedigree. Mary has no ancestry. If you haven't noticed that in the story, it's like she's just sort of married. That's just Mary. That's it. She is not a, she's not a Roman citizen. She's not, she's not aged. She doesn't have age. So in, that, in that day then that time, to have age, to have experience was a, was a status symbol. The younger you were, the more insignificant you were. So the, the angel sent not to a citizen, not to the aged, not to a man, but to a maiden, not to the sophisticated, but to the simple. God speaks, God sends his mighty messenger to, know, to, a, to one who is utterly unseen. Unseen. And he sends her. Why? to be a servant, to be a servant, to be a servant, to have God's Son. And it's so beautiful. We can see there in the text how God, how the angel describes to Mary the one who is to be born to her, one who in every way is authority, one who is sovereignty. God goes to the, to the most unseen, to the most vulnerable, to the most out-of-the-way place to start his insurrection. See, Christmas is about the unseen and Mary's response, such a beautiful response, a response that, that really, in so many ways, is just so simple and yet so profound. You can see it there. Um, you can see it there in verse 38. "I am the Lord's servant," Mary answered, "May your word to me be fulfilled." And then the angel left her. So in Christ- the Christmas holiday and the Christmas season, it's the unseen. It's the unseen for whom Christmas is about, if you will. Uh, Christmas is about those who are invisible to the world, those who simply don't have the, uh, they don't have all the importance, they don't have all the status signs, and, and they don't have the right handshakes. They don't have access to the right circles. They're always on the outside. They're the unseen. And of course, in response to this, Mary rushes to another woman, an elderly woman who's unseen, whom we discussed last week, to Elizabeth. She stays with her, and then they they have this beautiful encounter, this beautiful meeting. And in response to that, the sense of, of the blessing with which Elizabeth grants to Mary, Mary responds in verse 46 with these beautiful words, um, of celebration. Words of, if you will, gloating. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There's a sense of complete celebration. And why, why, did, why is she celebrating? Look in, verse, look in verse 48. The NIV translates, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. That's a great translation. Literally, if you were to translate it, for he has looked upon. He has seen He's seen me. He's seen my humble estate. That is, he's seen that I am unseen. Mary realizes that the one who's at the very top of the totem pole is one whose eyes are locked on those who are unseen by the world. And she loves it. She revels in it. She's so excited. She says, for, she says for from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. There's no one like him because all the other mighty ones of the earth, all the other, all of those who are sovereign, all those who are the influencers, all they ever do is hang out with other influencers. All they ever do is have an eye for the important people, making connections, getting more power, having more influence, influencing the influencers. And here, the one at the very top is, just doesn't need any of that, isn't interested in any of that, and says, I am here to see the unseen. You know, if you want to just grab your Bible real quick, I'm going to take you just on a little bit of a tour. Turn to Luke chapter 7. If you want to follow along your blue Pew Bible, you can. Uh, Luke chapter 7. A, Jesus is at the, the, uh, this is a, from a theme, this idea of God seeing or Jesus seeing is actually uh, a theme in Luke. And in chapter 7, it's on page 887 of your pew Bible, if you want to follow along. Jesus is invited to the house of a religious leader called a Pharisee, and they're having dinner together. And a woman, this is a chapter 7, verse 37, again on page 887, Verse thirty-seven: A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and then after that, she. It's this beautiful scene where she just pours out a very public expression of love and adoration and allegiance to Jesus, and the the, the religious leader objects to this, and he he objects to not only the woman but to Jesus and their their, their affiliation, and uh, and and Jesus then uh, uh, Jesus then communicates as he does this wonderful parable. This beautiful parable. He said, verse verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now here comes the big question. Are you ready for this? You judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, See how we're questioning? Do you see this woman? Wow. Do you see her? I mean, look, do you see her? Do you really see her? Is she a human being to you? Do you see this woman? How are you seeing this woman? Who is she to you? Turn further on. I think it's, let me look here in my notes here. I'm pretty sure it's chapter 14. Yeah, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 13. T- turn to the right there. Uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 10. Jesus um, is, is in one of the synagogues. Again, this is page 896 of your pew Bible. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he saw her. He actually stopped. He saw the woman. That may seem so simple to you, but it's not simple at all. It's to so many of us who live our lives unseen. Unseen, and finally, just chapter twenty-one, verse one. Chapter twenty-one, verse one. Really, the climax of of the final uh, uh, section, where Jesus is uh, in in, the, in the, the the closing week of his life. Chapter twenty-one, verse one. Again, that's on page uh, nine hundred four. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasure treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus, listen to me. If you are alone this morning, if you are struggling you're suffering, if you feel, you wonder, do I have any worth at all? Do I have anything to offer? Jesus sees you. He sees you. He knows you. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms is is if I remember right from Psalm 102. The psalmist says, I rejoice in the Lord because he has seen my affliction and known the anguish of my soul. He sees all of you, straight through you. It's kind of scary. <laughs> he sees all of you, though. He knows your ache, your sorrow, your pain, and and Mary is celebrating that. She celebrates the one who sees the unseen. Let me just take a few minutes. I want to apply this this passage a little bit, um, just to, to our lives. To you know, mean to start with the application, actually, with a confession. I was talking to a good friend of mine. Actually, if you remember James Quadrisius, he's a minister who came here to do the installation service um, more than a year and a half ago or so for me. And, and I was talking with James recently, and he, he said, you know, one of the things I really fail at in preaching, is I'm always telling my, my people what they're not doing. Like, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. He says, one of the things I don't ever do them is tell them when they're actually doing it. They think, hey, you're actually doing this. You know, so many of you, just even this morning, I pulled up, and Pat Pat Crater uh, pulled up right on the same time I did, and I said uh, said to Alfred and Trudy, my, my um, mother and father-in-law, who were here visiting us, I said, "Pat, there's Pat Crater. She's a quiet servant. She is, and so many of you are just like that. I think of the ways that you serve so quietly, so beautifully, and you're just unknown, unseen." And listen, I don't have the words this morning to give to you that adequately capture the honor, the the uh, the um, yeah, the, the honor, the um, just the sense of 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 thanksgiving that you deserve, the sense of acclaim that you deserve for your quiet service. But hear me so clearly there will come a day when you will stand before one who will have the words to honor you to dignify you to esteem you to celebrate you your good works will not go un will not go forgotten one day you will hear the words well done good and faithful servant. So know that when the world is forgotten, when your children are forgotten, right, moms? Right? You just work and you work and you work and with things you get nothing. Know that there's one who sees you right now. He sees you. And he will never forget what you have done. He will never forget. He will reward you for whatever good you have done, whether slave or we're free so again, I and when James said that, I was like, Oh, <laughs> it's like I'm always telling, you, Hey, good shepherds, start doing this, do this more, do that more, right? And I think, Oh, I'm not celebrating them enough, so I just want to confess that to you. I just, I just want to celebrate so many of you, you are just serving so quietly, so faithfully, and I want to thank you for that. So, as, as, we, as we think about how to apply this text, the first thing we want to do is we want to celebrate. God's justice. I want to celebrate his justice. See, we we to worship this text. Mary worships, he celebrates God because he values what no one else values. Everyone's all about all, about all kinds of you know, education and about looks and about money and what gives importance and what I'm gonna see, I see what's important according to the world. What God sees, what he focuses on, is simple service in the unseen service. God's justice is so incredibly beautiful because he will humble those who exalt themselves and he will exalt those who humble themselves. Savor his justice. Celebrate his justice. He notices the nobodies. Second, surrender to Jesus. Can we really say with Mary, can we really say, I am the Lord's servant. You know, there's such a Peace in, in, in being a servant. It's a peace in not being, needing to be in control. Just saying, look, I'm just gonna do what he says to do, and just whatever. There's such a peace. Um, there's a beautiful line taken from the Divine Comedy, where uh, a humble, um, a humble, uh, a woman who is a, uh, um, so what was she? She was—I uh, want to say—some. Uh, she was in a, some sort of service dedicated to the Lord, and she had compromised in various ways in the story. And and uh, Dante comes across her, and uh, he, she—he he kind of talks to her. She's in her, she's, you know—Dante's in heaven, and he's this is the Paradiso. And Dante is uh, talks to her, and he says, "Don't you feel really bad about how you've kind of failed in these ways? Look back at your life." And she looks at him. And she kind of laughs, and she says, "Oh, she said, Dante. Look." She has this beautiful line. She says, in his will is our peace. In his will. And that's what Mary does. Mary surrenders to the, to the will of God. I am his servant. And there's a peace, there's a serenity there that is, so, that is actually quite envious. So first we celebrate. We savor his justice. We surrender to Jesus. And third, we see like he sees you know, Thursday mornings, we have a prayer team that we meet, and, and Lori Ollendorf has this beautiful prayer. And I, I've totally hijacked it from her. I've stolen it from her. But she says this often. She's a very simple prayer. She says, God, help us to see others as you see them. Do you see others as God sees them? There is a, I've th- I mentioned this book. I think we've, read, we've even read this book as a congregation. Sarah Williams uh, has a beautiful book called um, The Shaming of the Strong, and Sarah Williams tells the story about how she was pregnant with her third child and discovered the child would actually be uh, would actually right around birth would actually die at the time of deliver de- delivery, and she tells the story of that whole experience and how this child in the womb, totally unseen, was used by God in a mighty way in her life. And this is one of the things that she learned from the experience. She writes, "This I thought about my Oxford degree." I thought about my hard-won job, all my well-crafted plans. My life and even my religion as a Christian had for so long revolved around servicing these things, my job, my plans. She continues, I had busied myself with the perfect home, with the perfect children, the perfect garden, that is the perfect backyard, perfect bo- the perfect body, And all the time, God was trying to draw my heart into a wild and free adventure with Him. I had become joyless, controlled, and predictable. I had no passion, and even less compassion. My eyes did not search for others, for sorry, did not search for other people's souls. Isn't that a great line? My eyes did not search for other people's souls. What do your eyes search for? When you see people do you see them as god sees them do you associate with nobodies the nobodies do you love and learn from those who are who are the little people i can remember a, a, a just a wonderful uh, doctor a christian man he was a ear and throat doctor and his name, his name was bill and bill uh had a sister and she was severely mentally disabled they grew up together and uh, I don't remember this is a number of years ago now, but she had passed in the early fifties, and her, his sister never had the emotional uh, development or social development greater than probably a six or seven year old. And, and this man, Bill, talked about, you know, being a, bringing a brother to her and the influence that his sister had on him. You understand, Bill, Bill is a brilliant ENT doctor. He's not only a doctor, but he's actually a, he's a professor. So, he, I mean, he's just an, am- an amazing mind. You're thinking, wow, a disabled sister, a brilliant doctor. Who's going to learn more from whom? And Bill talks about, he's beautiful, he just says, you know, any any ounce of compassion and mercy that I have as a doctor, as a human being, I learned from my sister. I learned from my sister. See, we are to love and learn from the lowly and the little ones. Let me ask you, at work, do you care about those who are beneath you on the org chart? Do you have time for the janitor who walks by you? Are we making time, are we associating with the nobodies? So again, this passage calls us to celebrate and savor his justice, to surrender to Jesus, to renew our commitment to him, and to see like he sees, to pray, help us see others. God, help me to see others as you see them. Let me conclude. You know, there's a a certain pain. I started by talking about the, the, the pain of being unseen. But I want you to understand something else. There is an incredible power to being unseen. Um, most of you probably are familiar with the Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. You've seen, maybe seen the movies, right? And you can think that the great nemesis, the great bad guy in the Lord of the Rings is Sauron. And he kind of doesn't have, a, for, for reasons I won't go into, he doesn't have like a physical body. But he, can, he appears as this like fiery eye on the top of a tower. And this eye is looking all over the place. And, and what the eye wants more than anything, of course, is the ring of power. And, 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 of course, the eye, though, so what, what Sauron does, he's constantly looking for the eye of power on, like, a, a mighty king, or maybe on, a, on a warrior dwarf, or in some sort of ancient elf, some sort of very high-powered figure. What kind of figure is he not looking for the ring to be on? A lowly, simple hobbit. So the eye's looking everywhere. See, there's a certain power In being unseen, a power to slip onto. And that's exactly what the story is. This is a story of God ever so slyly slipping into the Roman Empire. (laughs) Behind enemy lines, no one sees, being unseen, being, being strategic, being secretive. See, true power, true power is found in not needing status, in not needing the world's gaze, True power is found in being a quiet, humble servant. And that's exactly how Jesus came. True power is found not in having more influence, in more say, and more money, and more, more, more. True power is found in needing less. And that's what Jesus does. He comes and he loses everything and shows his power to have dominion over everything. Is that, is that you? Do you, do you seek to say, you know what, Lord, I am going to simply serve. Whatever situation, whatever station I have in life, I am here to be your servant. Let me conclude with this. This is, um, and those of, most of you are familiar with Life Magazine. Um, Anthony, if you had pulled this up, um, if you, I'm going to see if you can recognize, so this is some of the most famous covers of Life Magazine. Um, see if you can, I actually blocked off the names. You go, who, who is that, everyone? Winston Churchill, right? I mean, I think that's taken. Oh, go back real quick. It's, what it was, it May 21st, 1945. Here you go, 10, 10, 10 cents. How about that? Isn't that amazing? Winston Churchill next? Oh, Who's that? Yeah, okay, good. Who's that? Next? Who? The Beatles. The, Be- the Beatles. <laughs> oh, the Beatles. Okay, what is that? 1964. Isn't that amazing? Okay, next. Okay, does that look familiar at all? Do you know who that is? Yeah, okay, okay. So, so now, now, before you go to the next one, Anthony, uh, a movie that actually, actually a, a clip I happened to see of it last night, but movie, one, of my, one of my more favorite movies is, a, is a, 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 a remake of the film The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And it's, it's, it stars Ben Stiller, who does just a phenomenal job. And in the, in the story, Ben Stiller is this nobody. He works for Life Magazine, and Life Magazine is shutting down. They're going to have their last issue and Walter Mitty's responsible for, for getting the, the negatives from the photographers and developing them and making them in the pictures. And he has, but really his job is of no, no significance. It's not valued. It's not seen as, his, his office is in a basement. And he's just a nobody. And then he gets from this key photographer, he gets this negative. And the negative is supposed to be the cover of the last, of the final issue of Life Magazine. And he loses the negative. And he has to go find, the whole story is about him trying to find the photographer whom he hopes still has the negative, or something like that. And so he goes on this big adventure as he does it. But what he comes to find, and this is so amazing, what he comes to find is that the, the final picture, the final cover for Life magazine is a photograph taken by this photographer. And the photographer is so cool, they have this conversation, he and the photographer have this conversation. And and. and uh, And the photographer at one point, he says this, he says, truly truly beautiful things don't need to be seen. They don't need to be seen. They're just quietly serving. And at the very end of the movie, uh, Walter Mitty finally gets the negative, and he looks, uh, he sees the cover, and he sees this. I don't know if you can see who that is. That's actually Ben Stiller. That, that's, that's Walter Mitty. It's a nobody. Here's the photographer saying, At the very last part, the final issue of Life magazine is a picture of a nobody. And that's exactly how life works in the kingdom of God. To understand that, that the, very, the, very final, the very final day, who will be on the cover it's not all these big names with money and political influence and power. It will be the lowly servants whom God will exalt. And that's what Mary sees. And that's why she celebrates. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, it is amazing that you have a justice that you do have. A justice that focuses not on all of the empty worldliness, all of the, the money and the bling and the, and the looks and the, the, the education and the, the, the degrees. Father, you are a God who could care less about pedigree. You could care less about performance. You are a God who in, instead looks upon those whom the world has utterly forgotten. And Father, I pray that as a church, as a good shepherd, Father, there, there are persons here who live their, their lives, Lord, so often unseen. And I pray that we would see each other that we not only see each other, we would celebrate each other. Think of the young here, Father, the old. Father, as the young who are in nursery, Lord, I pray that we would go and see them. We would serve them. We would say, I am the Lord's servant. I will go and I will, I will serve these little ones. I pray that we would see the elderly here, those who, those who are have so much wisdom to offer and yet who often so neglected. So alone, I pray that we would see them too. Father, I think of, of those who are widows and widower, widowers. I think of those who are single parents. I think of those who are serving quietly and simply need encouragement. They need prayer. Father, would you, would you enable us? Father, would you enable us to see others as you see them? Father, we savor, we do, we savor your justice and we surrender to you, Jesus. There is no one more worthy of our allegiance, no one more worthy of our adoration, no one more worthy of our affection than you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we hail you as King, as Lord, as Messiah. And indeed, it is because of you that we can have joy joy in this world because you indeed have come. And Father, we pray that we would receive you as King. Father, prepare our hearts. Father, would you do that? Prepare our hearts to give him room and let heaven and nature sing. Sing of the one who is the perfect, the perfect, the God of perfect justice. who.